This is Radiance Tape Number JD22. A message by Jim Durkin, entitled Training Your Soul. For some time, I've been trying to get back to a subject which I think is of importance to you, and that is how you, after having some understanding of how you are made by God, will learn how to train your soul so that your soul and your intellect, which is a part of your soul, and your will, which is a part of your soul, and your body, which is that instrument of expression of both the spirit and the soul, will at all times reflect Jesus Christ. That's what we're aiming after. Now, at times, I have imparted from personal counseling and from services of this nature certain basic principles which some people having listened to and grasped intellectually. For instance, it's perfectly possible for me to write a book that a person could read the book, grasp intellectually what I said, believe that they could take and put these principles into operation only to fail totally. I think when I talk, for instance, on the teaching of prosperity, which is merely a variant of the great teaching on giving, which is really a variant of the great teaching on love. See, love is the supreme attitude, and from it flows giving. The man who loves gives. That is, if he has God's love, he gives. The man who has only human love gives, but only because he takes. See, it's a self-centered love. I love this narrow channel that focuses on that person there. I love them because they make me feel so wonderful. They make me, I love this child because it is my child. I love this person because they are my friend. See, it all has to do with this extreme selfish beaming in on something. But God so loved the world that he gave. Gave to who? To his friends? He gave to his friends to those who followed him, to those who served him, but also on an equal basis to those who hated him. He makes his sun to shine upon the evil and the good. He makes his rain to fall upon the evil and the good. And he brings judgment and punishment only with the purpose of bringing a man to his senses that he might come to Jesus Christ and find life eternal. God gives unselfishly. Now, it is the purpose of God to put this into us, not as an intellectual concept, which as an abstraction we can sit down and think about and say, yes, beautiful, wonderful concept. I can see there being no need for jails and no need for insane asylums and no need for reformatories and no broke, I see, but it's only an abstraction until it becomes a vital living principle in us. And all of the intellect put together can grasp it in its little, tiny, limited form. But we do not have the energy, the strength, the change of heart, the nature to put the tiniest little bit of it into operation in any way that's acceptable to God. Now, we are looking for, then, something that will create God's plan in us that the world may see not us and our little energy trip, 
James Durkin has now got religion. And James Durkin is now manifesting love. Whereas before, he used to frown at people. Now, see, and my mouth is tired and I say, oh boy, I hope I can hold out through the rest of the day. Ah, ah. Oh, fooey. Now, many Christians on their energy trip are trying to be Christ-like. It won't work. It won't work. We must open ourselves up to the divine presence, to the divine life, to the divine energy, and allow Jesus to manifest himself. And then I can tell you something. You may even be frowning, or you may be deep in thought, or you may be tired to the point of despair. And I'll tell you something, when you're almost worn to a frazzle, people can come to you in their hour of need and you can't even counsel them, you can't even pray with them. You can just reach out and put your hand on their shoulder and say, Brother, I do understand. And that's enough to let that divine life flow to them and they're strengthened by it. See, now I'm talking about a divine actuality. Now, these principles then that we talk about are not intellectual concepts. They're not something we commit to memory and we know the 10 principles which make us good Christians or we have the 22 lessons which convert us from baby Christians to mature Christians. We must practice these things until they become a life. That's why I tell you there are certain things which the Bible really teaches us to do. Now, Jesus laid down an important basic principle then, and I want to install it in your hearts now. Matter of fact, it'd be better if we turned and read to it. Seventh chapter of Matthew. And the 21st verse. We'll start there. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Now, please notice the emphasis we're going to make here on the word do. Or I like to use the word practice. In other words, put into practice something. All right. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. All right, now here apparently seems to be something they did. See, he said, he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Okay, they said, well, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils. We did many wonderful works. Well, no, Jesus now must be talking about something else altogether. What is... Jesus talking about here, because he said, that isn't doing the will of my Father. Now, that might be an expression of us once we have done the will of the Father, but just casting out devils or prophesying in the name of Jesus is not the will of the Father. The will of the Father is to manifest Jesus Christ. Now, manifesting him at one point, we might prophesy, but do you see that it's perfectly possible for a person to prophesy in the name of Jesus and not be doing the will of the Father at all? Matter of fact, they might even despise the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul speaks about such people when he talked about him being put in prison, and he said there are some who preach Christ of goodwill. See? All right, here's people doing the will of the Father, prophesying in the name of Jesus, but he said there are some who preach Christ of contention supposing that they add affliction to my bonds. In other words, Paul was in jail. He was being persecuted for the gospel's sake. And every time the Roman government heard that people were out preaching in the name of Jesus, they would come in and punish him. They'd say, we told you to tell those people to stop preaching, and now you're going to get it. And then they'd beat him or they'd put him in stocks or do something else to him. So this group of people, knowing that he would be punished, went out and preached Jesus. 
deliberately so he would get punished. So now we see that people can prophesy in the name of Jesus and not be doing the will of the Father at all. So Jesus said, I'm going to say to them, depart from me, your workers of iniquity. I never knew you. All right, now. And then will I profess in them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, now here's the important point, once you've understood that. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. And by the way, the sayings of Jesus were designed to change the inner man, designed to change the inner nature, designed to change the spiritual man into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. All right. Now, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, now please notice that they heard the sayings. They, I hear, yeah, right, right, beautiful principle, remarkable. My, I see that clearly, right? They heard it. Now understand that they heard it. But what did they not do? What was different about this and the one that went before? They didn't do it. They didn't integrate it into a practice. They didn't let it go deep into the spirit till it became a literal part of their living practice. All right, now Jesus describes this people too. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. See, it's only intellectual understanding, but not living practice. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Same trials, same testings, same problems. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. All right, now, my prayer would be that everyone in here is converted. So I'm going to talk as though you were. If you are not, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I pray that before tonight is over, you say... I want to get my life on the foundation that will stand. I want to begin building my life on the foundation that will stand. So, remember, Jesus is that foundation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And until you've invited him in, everything else is a foundation that will collapse and will fall. But once you invite him in, you now have the foundation. Now you're going to begin to build your life. So we're going to talk about building your life. All right. In Second Peter... Turn to it, please, although you've heard me use it many times, but it'd be necessary to repeat it here again. I want to give you the basic concept of the Word of God. The basic concept, that is, to produce change in your life. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Well, I'm going to read right from the first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith, keep in mind that word, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Now how? Through the knowledge. All right. Keep in mind clearly. It isn't just a kind of a blanket thing he's saying, like, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Like, here, here I'm throwing out a blessing now, right? There is a place where my soul says to your soul, may the Lord bless you. But Paul here, Peter rather, is getting down to a pretty heavy thing. 
He's laying down to us a fundamental principle. I cannot build my life on your blessings of me. That's a part of our relationship to each other. But it is not going to make me grow and become strong unless I do something. See, so you say, Jim Durkin, the Lord bless you. Well, your soul is reaching out to me in love. That's good. My soul in return should reach out to you in love and say, and the Lord bless you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Make his face to shine upon you. The Lord keep you. The Lord bless you. That we should do. But the real point that Peter is making here, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And where do we get that knowledge? Well, now from three things. From the Word of God, from the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God and making it alive, and the third thing, turning it into a living practice or living experience in our lives. Three things. The Word of God, I read it. Number two, I yield to the Holy Spirit who is working in my life. Number three, I turn it into a living practice. All right. Now, what do I turn into a living practice? Let's see what the Word of God has to say on that point. Third verse, according as his divine power. Now, God, in other words, has taken his whole divine source of energy, power, wisdom, strength, and he has devised a means whereby you will become a partaker of the divine nature, completely escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, let's see his plan. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, leaving nothing out, all things. Here again, we're back to the same original principle in verse 2, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And that word virtue again means having a series of choices in front of us and choosing the right one and refusing the wrong one. Virtue. All right. Whereby, now he reveals the way, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be, by these what? Promises. Ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, let's stop at this point. Although you really should read the rest of the chapter, and you've heard me preach on it from time to time, but these first four verses are of tremendous significance because they lay down the basic thing of everything I'm going to talk to you about tonight. Now, taking a second principle that I've given you at other times, the Word of God says about itself, the Word of God is quick and powerful. That means living and dynamic. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to that dividing point. I'm paraphrasing here and giving it to you in the original. Piercing to that dividing point between soul and spirit. Now, I told you at other times that a man is made up of three parts. He is spirit, and he is soul, and he is body. These three things are separate the one from the other. My body is one piece of this functioning mechanism. It is the instrument by which I express myself in a physical world. It is not necessary for me to have my body to live, but it is necessary for me to have my body to live in this physical world. The minute 
my soul and spirit are separated from my body, my body collapses, being merely clay, being merely earth, a few chemicals, a lot of water, it collapses, it immediately begins a deterioration process, and we all know all too well it must be buried or gotten rid of. The body is dead. Why is it dead? Because the soul and spirit are separated. But the soul and spirit are yet alive. The rich man and Lazarus tells us that clearly. When the rich man died and he was buried in a tomb and Lazarus died and he was buried in potter's field, and yet after their death they were able to talk, they were able to communicate, not in the sense that spiritists would have us believe it, but as a matter of fact, it wasn't Lazarus communicating with the rich man, it was Abraham, but I won't go into that too much, except to say they could still see, feel, taste, touch. All of their senses remained intact, but they could no longer function in a physical world. They were now in their spiritual element alone. Now, before they can even function in a spiritual realm, God will have to clothe them and us. If I were to leave this body tonight, God would say to me, come home. My spirit and soul would leave. My body would collapse. And now the Bible says we desire to be clothed upon with our body from heaven. So even here we need a body. An angel has a body, but he has a spiritual body. Different mechanism, different makeup altogether than this human fleshly body. Now residing in this body somewhere is something the Bible calls spirit. It's a part of God's own essence. The Bible talks about the spirit goes back to God who gave it. Spirit. The Bible uses the same word about God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, my spirit, and the word of God when it says this, the words that I speak unto you, Jesus was saying, they are spirit and they are life. And then the Bible says God breathed upon man or breathed into him spirit. And man became a living soul. He didn't put a soul in him. The action of God's divine spirit upon this formed lump of clay produced a living soul. The soul has to be trained. The soul of a baby has to be trained. It comes into the world unable to speak, unable to think. Unable to know that this is a microphone, this is a table, this is a book, and this is a flower. Knows none of those things at all. It needs to be trained. Unfortunately, in this world in which we live, the soul is not trained by men who understand godly principles or godly truth as a rule. But 24 hours a day, you can be sure with most of us, because we did not know Jesus Christ, the devil, sometimes through humans, sometimes through whatever the instrumentality would be, sometimes the direct moving of demonic spirit or demonic thought upon us, we were trained to think satanically. Now, I don't mean we go around saying, you know, I have horns and, and I'm a demon going around here and I'm a, yeah, look at me. No, sometimes we look very bland, very, very beautiful, very kindly, and sometimes we feel that way. But let me give you exactly what the Bible says so you understand the man without Jesus Christ is thinking satanically. His whole life is this way. Peter, who is not yet converted, Jesus said to him later, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. But even sometimes a Christian thinks satanically. He's not possessed of a devil, but he thinks satanically because he hasn't been trained yet by the word of God to quit thinking that way. So he thinks the old way. All right. Jesus says to his disciples one day, he said, I must go up to Jerusalem and die for the world, or words to that effect. 
They are going to spit upon the Son of Man. They're going to pluck out his beard. They're going to nail me on a cross. Peter comes up to him and does what seems to be a beautiful thing, a lovely, a noble thing. He takes him and he shakes him and said, Be it not so unto thee, Lord. In other words, you're not going to do that, Jesus. I love you. You're not going to go up there and be killed. You're going to stay with me, Lord. I love you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Where's Satan? I can imagine Peter. What? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you savor not of the things that be of God, but of men. Thus telling us that the normal thought processes of men in this world and the thought processes of Satan are one and the same. Self-centered. Here's Peter. Notice this, please. Jesus saying, the Father's will is that I should go to Jerusalem and give my life a ransom for many. For many? Look, Jesus, I want you around for me. Notice this self-centered attitude. I want you for me, Jesus. I don't care about it. Three billion people going to hell? No interest to me. As long as you stay with me, Jesus. See? Self-centered. Now, Jesus didn't have to have discernment of spirits. I'm sure he had it. But he didn't have to have discernment of spirit to know that was a satanic thought. Totally self-centered. Peter didn't even stop and say, Lord, I don't understand. I only know I love you. I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to go away from me. But Lord, obviously it's something of tremendous importance to you. Why do you feel that way, Lord? Because my father tells me there are other lost sheep out there and I must go to them. Well, Lord, if that's what you must do, amen. I'm willing to lose you, give you up, if that's what you know you must do. See, that's unselfish. Peter said, no, he didn't even give a thought about that. I want you for me, Jesus. You're not going anywhere. See? Satanic. Now, we need to be trained out of that kind of thinking. It's ruinous to the Christian, totally destructive to the work of God. Right when you need something where a person, that the battle is being fought with tremendous force, and you need one brother in there to give everything he's got. He looks around, gets a little bit selfish, and says, no, I don't want to be in this battle. I might get hurt. I'm going home. See? Satanic thinking. This is fear. Many times it's just selfishness. And when he sees a vision that's greater than him, he just hurls himself into the battle, and it's one in a moment of time. See? All right, now, man's thinking then is satanic. The soul of man, from the time he's a little tight, is trained steep in selfishness. He watches daddy act selfishly. He watches mother act selfishly. He watches big sister act selfishly. He gets up a little older and a baby brother, and he watches the baby brother. Finally, he goes to school and he sees the teacher acting selfishly and the other students acting selfishly. And everywhere he goes, he sees this self-centered, and pretty soon, what's he manifesting? And he's well-trained by the time he's five, six, seven, eight years old. Totally me, 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 me. And what the average child, what is his normal speech? I want, give me, I I, 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 I. And by the time he's 10, what's the main word he uses? I, 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 I. 15, I, 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 I. 20, I, 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 I. And then when he really gets ambitious, that's where the world's like, be ambitious, brother. Move to the top. Get this, get that, do this. Then he really gets, I, 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 I. And then he becomes like a clawing, ravening beast, tearing everything in his way. That's right. Until somewhere along the line, God says, Stop. 
Stop. You think this is what I created you for? To rip, to tear, to ruin, to destroy? Oh, no. Then we wake up, and we become like little babes. Oh, Lord, what now? Now, here is man, his spirit at one time, the divine plan, God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden. Here's God, the spirit. God is in direct contact with Adam's spirit. Adam's spirit is strong. Now, remember, Adam's an individual separate from God. It's not all is God, not anything like that at all. Adam was a separate individual made by God, made in his image and after his likeness, but separate. With free will, he can make choices contrary to God's purposes, or he can make choices in line with God's purposes. He had either ability to do that. didn't have to choose the wrong thing, but he chose to choose the wrong thing, and he did choose it. Now, God's spirit in communication Perfect flow between God's spirit and the man's spirit. The man's spirit is strong because he's receiving this supply of divine life. Rules over his soul, which you'll find out is the emotional, intellectual, willing nature of man to will. And that rules over the body. God's divine plan. God in the spirit, ruling over the soul and expressing itself through this marvelous instrument called the soul, expressing itself through the body, the voice, the eye, the touch, the walk, the expression, everything about us expressing Jesus Christ. Remember that Jesus' body was no different than your body. It was just a man's body. It had a brain like yours, not a super brain, Eyes, maybe they were the same color as some people's hair. Hair grew in the same way. Beard. Everything about him was just flesh. It says that he didn't take upon him the nature of angels, but of men. But in that body was Jesus. Jesus in perfect harmony with his Father, the Great Spirit. In him was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus completely submitted to the Father. And that complete submission to the Father ruled over his completely trained soul. Now, let me point out something to you. I said a completely trained soul. The Bible says he learned obedience. By what? By being born, right? He learned obedience because he was a son of God. He learned obedience. How did he learn obedience? Let me say it loud. Some of you got it. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He had to make choices. He had to turn something aside that looked good. He had to, he had to, he had to. And some of those choices he had to make were painful choices. Now the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He made those choices. He came to glory and virtue. The Bible says he cried with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And he heard in that he feared. Jesus is talking about. That soul training process was a painful one. Jesus one day, his disciples came to him, James and John, and they had their mother with them. You can almost see them. Go ahead, mom. That's good. Tell them now. Jesus, certainly appreciated what you've done for my two boys, James and John. 
I'd like to have a little favor of you. Jesus, what is it, woman? When you get to heaven, come in your kingdom. I wonder if James could sit on your left hand, John on your right hand. Thought sure it would work. He said, you don't know what you ask. Don't know what you ask. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And are you able to drink of the cup that I drink, the cup of suffering? Oh, yeah, well, sure, certainly. That's, where is it? Baptism? I know what that is. We get dunked in water, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the baptism of suffering. That night of the soul. That burning fire in the soul. That training of the soul. That's the suffering. The Bible says that we are to endure chastening as sons, for whom the Lord loveth, he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He helps you in this soul training process, but you have a part too. All right. So now then, here's the divine plan. God in the spirit, making the spirit of man strong, the man ruling over the soul, and the soul directing the actions of the body, and perfectly expressing itself, the spirit actually expressing itself through the instrument of the soul expressing itself through the body. The intellect in the hand of God. The emotions in the hand of God. The body in the hands of God. Because the spirit is in the hands of God and the soul is ruled over by the spirit. Now, what is the actual facts of the matter as far as most of us are concerned? Well, let's see what it is. When we're a sinner, the life of God has been cut off and our spirits, the Bible says, are dead. Now, once again, remember, dead does not mean non-functional. The spirit is still able to function, but death means, as I told you, when the spirit and soul leave the body, the body is dead. In other words, death is separation. Spirit and soul have left the body. The body is dead. Well, now, when the spirit is dead is when God is not in contact with our spirits. Then our spirits are dead. And just like our body, here I have strength today because there is an energy in me. There is my soul within me, my spirit within me that enables me to have strength. And I can pick up this Bible or I could pick up, I suppose I could still pick up a much heavier weight and say, I have strength in my body. But if my soul and spirit left, just here I'm holding this weight, see? And you say, well, yes, he can hold it. His body is strong. My body is strong? No, no. My body has no strength at all. It only has muscles which can respond to strength from within, some energizing force which makes these muscles able to function. And at some moment, right here, I'm lifting this weight, and then my spirit and soul leave. What happens? Where's the strength? Totally gone. There's not a trace of it. Gone. Strength is not a function of the muscle. Thought is not a function of the brain. These are only instruments of expression of strength or instruments of expression of thought. The eye does not see. It only transmits information. The spirit sees. Now, if we can understand that, we begin to think differently about ourselves. Train the soul. Strengthen the spirit. That's why Paul says bodily exercise profits but a little. It'll keep this thing in tone. But you better keep your spirit in tune. Hallelujah. Now, the average man is cut off from the life which is in God and his spirit is now 
without strength. Because the only way the spirit can be strong is with this divine energy of God in contact with our spirit. In other words, when God, the source of strength, is touching my spirit, it's strong. The minute that he separates, totally weakened. No power to function at all. The minute my spirit becomes weak, this jungle chimpanzee called my soul, totally trained satanically, rises up and becomes an utter tyrant. It rules over my spirit and says, get down there, spirit. I'll tell you what to do. Today I'm going to feel emotional. I'm going to throw a hysteric today if things don't go right. If my wife gets in my way, I'll bite her head off. Oh, man. Ever had any experience like that? Or vice versa, sometimes the other way around. Oh, I've got this headache, and my husband says one thing to me tonight. I'll scream, I'll scream, I'll scream. Oh, now, that's, that's real. That, that, that's the soul in operation. Eh? Or the intellect rules over us. See? My spirit, a little bit there, says, I'm looking for truth. I know there's truth somewhere. And the spirit does know it. See, the spirit knows it. I know there's truth somewhere. Is there a God? And the intellect rises up and says, there is no God. They have flown around in airplanes and rocket ships and nobody's ever seen God. Now, quiet. You're an atheist. Shut up. That's right. Ever had experience like that? Huh? The soul is untrained. The emotions are a tyrant. Now, if the emotions are the tyrant, in other words, if we're heavily emotional, then we say that person is an emotional person. Or we may even go further and say they're a hysterical person. You know, the soul, <laughs> this way, see. Or the other person, we say, deeply intellectual person. Now, tyrannical. Now, once in a while, a person is emotional and bodily. Oh, their body. Oh, they take care of my body. I've got to take care of my body. Just got to take care of it. And so we go in for that. Although a lot of people, that isn't the real important thing. All right, now. When a man receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, the divine contact has been restored. Death turns to life, and a man becomes born again. Now, remember this in the spirit. Nothing much has happened to the soul. The soul is saved but it has no knowledge of God at all. As a matter of fact, it may be resisting. You know, how many of you have ever, after you've given your heart to the Lord, your intellect was still telling you, there's no God, there's no God, there's, you can't be saved, no, no, no. You're most saying, I don't feel saved, I don't feel saved, I don't feel... Ever had that experience? Every one of us have had that experience. We had to tell our soul where to head in, our intellect's where to head in at, see? Now, the minute that Jesus then touches our spirit, this little weak spirit crying out says, isn't there a God somewhere? Isn't there God somewhere? Oh, God, help me. Then someone says, now, notice here again, the intellect is valiantly standing off anybody that even suggests that there really is a God. Oh, yes, I believe in a supreme being intellect. Say, yes, somewhere there's a supreme being. You can't touch him. You can't see him. You can't feel him. You can't, but he's there, way up there. Where, where is he? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. See, well, that's another way of saying he isn't there, right? I believe he's everywhere. This is God. This is God. This is God. This is God. That's God. Everything's God. Nothing's God. We're all God. Same kind of intellectual flim-flam. It's the intellect saying, there is no God. Spirit, shut up. That's what it's really saying. Little spirit's crying out, is there a God somewhere? 
somewhere. Now the Bible says the Word of God is living and powerful. Piercing to that dividing point between soul and spirit. Man, it hits the intellect and says, stand aside. Comes in the emotion and says, no, no, oh, I'm getting all uptight in this word. Quit preaching about sin. I don't like that at all. Ooh, ooh, what? Amen. And the word of God goes right on through that. To that dividing point between soul and spirit, and it penetrates into the spirit. Some great life breaks on that little weak, tiny spirit. There's a God somewhere. I'm all in prison in this place. And it breaks through. And it is spirit. Divine. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And they are life. And the soul reaches out and says, Lord Jesus, help me. And they take hold of that name and that word. And the Lord Jesus unites with our spirit. And for the first time in a whole lifetime, maybe, the Spirit stands up and says, Mouth, you're going to say something now. Oh, no, I don't want to. Oh, no, people will look at me. Oh, I don't want to be a fool. You know what we think about religion, right? You know, we, oh, my emotions are killing me. I feel that. You are going to say it. No, 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 no. Can I do it? Do it. No, no. Uh, well, I, oh, oh, I don't. Oh. I have to, you do. Oh. I want to tell you, I want to tell you that I have given my heart to Jesus. I'm saved. Say it again. I'm saved. I'm saved. Say it again. I'm saved. Then everyone shouts hallelujah. Hallelujah, I'm saved. The Spirit stood up for the first time and said, I don't care what you feel like, what you think like, you're going to say it and believe it. Hallelujah. I'm saved. Life has come. Thank God we know something, and we told the soul it knows something, and we told the intellect it knows something, and we told the will it knows something. We know something, and from now on they're going to say that. They're going to believe. But now, now, here comes the training process. The spirit can have a bent or a basic attitude. The soul is an instrument of expression. The soul can bless God. Unless it's trained to do so, it finds it difficult to do so. See, the soul may have been artificially prejudiced, in other words, improperly prejudiced, not to express itself. Let's take a typical example here. And remember, in our youth, our souls are trained. All right? Child comes up, and it's supposed to say a poem in a little deal where school kids get together, maybe in Sunday school. Now, we're not careful parents, and we have not conquered our personal hang-ups. We many times slap our children with the very hang-up that we ourselves are suffering from. And we lay it on them just as sure as anything we can ever do. And I'll show you how this goes about, and it's a part of the soul training process that we train our children with. That's why it's so important to train up a child in a way it should go, and when it's old, it will not depart therefrom. So, let us say that we are very conscious of what people think of us, very conscious. Now, we should want people to think well of us, but that can go too far, see? So we've been telling people about our little Susie Bell. Oh, Susie Bell has practiced so hard, and she's going to have her little white dress on, and she's learned a poem so well, and oh, her mother and her father and her grandmother, children, oh, say, oh, Susie Bell, you say that poem so beautifully. Susie Bell comes to school. 
Mary had a little mama lamb, lamb, lamb. Mary, Mary had a little lamb. It's fleece. Fleece was fleece. No, Mom, I can't remember. <laughs> now we have to get. Oh, you, you, you stupid little brat! You made a fool out of me. You made a fool out of your father. You made a fool out of your family. Oh, you are gonna spank you good. You never forget these things again. Over a little poem. Now, we train that child's soul. It just can't hardly wait to get a child of its own to get back at things. <laughs> or to start making fun of somebody. Or to never get up in front of a crowd again. Never stand up and say anything. Soul retreats back and says, I'm never going to get myself in that kind of a predicament again. This must be some terribly evil thing that I could stand up and say a few words and mistake one word and be beaten almost senseless over it. I've embarrassed mother. I've embarrassed father. I've brought ruin on my community. My country will probably lose the war all because I forgot a word. I'm never going to do it again. You see, the soul has been trained. Well trained. It'll never forget that lesson maybe in a lifetime. And so, satanically, carefully, we have been crippled so that this great instrument of expression of soul can never manifest God unless a miracle takes place. That miracle is salvation. That miracle is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That miracle is the Word of God. That miracle is the practice of God's Word. It will bring about a change, but that change takes time and application and training until our souls are set free. And ye shall know the truth, but, and the truth shall set you free. Of those hang-ups, those sins, those selfish ideas, wrong concepts, you apply the Word of God to your life carefully and assiduously, and you can set yourself free of everything. The Spirit will direct you. He will guide you into all truth, and the truth shall set you free. All right, now. Let's see the first step. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you become partakers of the divine nature. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Meditate upon this word day and night. Every one of you, and I don't want to go into oriental meditation or uh, cross-legged meditation or some particular meditative posture. I'm simply saying the word of God does teach meditation, but not meditation where I'm looking in myself, I'm going to find anything there or I'm looking at my navel button or some hole up here in my head. No, I'm going to meditate upon the Word of God. Now turn with me, please, to Psalm 1. Hallelujah. I want deliverance meditation. Hallelujah. Psalm 1. Now the purpose of this meditation is to get the Word of God in the Spirit. The thing that you can do. See, this is why the Christian who only comes to church once a week and depends upon one method of getting the Word of God in your spirit, it never grows much. One method of getting the Word of God in your spirit is to go to a good church where the Word of God is being preached with power and hear it under its anointed form. And if you're sitting there in a receptive attitude and your heart is reaching out in faith and you're hungry, 
it will enter your spirit and produce a work. This is why many people have been in a conference or a great gathering of people or just an ordinary church service where the Spirit's really moving, and they say, I heard that one message, and it changed my whole attitude. Sure, it reached the Spirit. But you cannot depend for your Christian growth on hearing 52 shots of the Word a year and think that's going to do something for you. It's far too little when your soul has already been fouled up for 20, 30, or 40 years. Man, we got to get with this job if we're really going to make some visible changes in our experience in our life. So blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. We've been doing that too long as it is. See, we've been trained wrong. Keep walking in the counsel of the ungodly. What are you doing with your soul training? You're continuing the wrong training, right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law that he meditate, what? Day and night. Now, result, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Oh, that's tremendous promise. By these you become partakers of the divine nature. Now, let's go back to Joshua. Joshua 1, verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Now, this requires meditation. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. You need to hear it, rehear it, rehear it, rehear it, rehear it. This word, the Bible says they are spirit in their life. You don't even have to understand it for it to function. Keep your finger right here and turn with me to Revelation, please. The first chapter. It is not necessary to understand the Word of God for it to function beneficially in your life. It is merely necessary for you to be receptive and to meditate upon what you have read. In other words, to say, Lord, talk to me. Lord, explain to me the meaning. Lord, let your work have power in my life. Let your Word be a living fire in my bones. Let me read it to you here. Third verse of that first chapter. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now, there are three things that are necessary here. This applies to the man who may be too ignorant to know how to read. He may have had no chance at education. All he has to do is hear. The Bible says, a wayfaring man, though a fool, need not err therein, because he can still hear. And that hearing, even though his mind cannot grasp the great intellectual idea... The word of God can reach his spirit and save him completely. Wayfaring man, though a fool. These words are spirit and life. They're not applied to the brain or to the emotions necessarily, although they work there. But they're designed to reach the spirit of the man. And that's where you must be reached. All right. Blessed is he that readeth. Here's for the, the man who can read. So if we read it, now not understand it. There's a lot of things in the book of Revelation I don't understand at all. And nobody else understands. Although some of them say, oh, I understand everything in that book. You know, it's an amazing thing to me. Here's a man who says he understands everything in the book of Revelation. And here's another man who understands everything in it. Here's another man who understands everything in it. And here's another man who understands everything in the book of Revelation. Then you get the four of them together, and what do they do? Argue with each other, see? Which shows, you know, obviously something funny. Because if God taught this man what the Revelation meant, and each one God says, he taught me, and he taught me, and he taught me, God got his teaching all fouled up. He didn't know what he was teaching. He taught this one. He'll say, what do I teach this one? I don't remember. I teach this one something different here. You, you, you. Now, that's silly. See, the Bible doesn't say you must understand this book. It says what? 
Read it. Hear it. And what you do understand, when it says, come out of her, my people, and be ye separate, I understand that. Oh, I understand that. See? Now he said, blessed is the man that does these things. So you don't even have to understand it. Just read it. Search the Bible. Read it. All right? So he says, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, whenever you speak, you'll speak according to its principles and according to its truth. You won't be speaking a lot of vain, babbling, a lot of nonsense. See? All right. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be saying scripture all the time. It doesn't talk about that. But it means you aren't going to go into a lot of, well, yes, I've read the Word of God, and it's good. It contains truth somewhere. I'm not able to find where all the time. See? But there are other books that all, I read this, I read this, I do this, I, I study everything, I, I embrace everything. I... That sounds like wisdom. The Bible says he has made the wisdom of this world foolishness. And he takes the poor who are rich in grace, and he reveals to them that this book is the truth. And they come to say, this is treasure, and this is truth, and this is spirit, and this is life, and this is the mind of God revealed. I believe this book. I will practice this book. I will walk according to its precepts. And they rise up and become strong and go through the work of God. Never saw one do any other thing, ever got much done. But a man who believes this book and practices it, things began to happen in his life. All right. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Oh, that's far different from the 52 times a week and getting into a church where the pastor preaches a nine-minute sermon, and if it's two minutes to 12 when he starts, he preaches a two-minute sermon. Because when that thing hits 12, everyone is gone. Ah, oh, brother, listen, when that preaching starts, brother, sister... If you've only had it one shot a week, you better hope that preacher preaches all afternoon. I'll tell you that. But I pray that you won't be getting one shot a week, that you'll be getting it in the morning, in the noon, in the night. I pray that you'll wake up and meditate upon the Word. I pray that you'll walk down the street and meditate upon its promises and its glory and its truth. Because every time you do and meditate, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And this mighty spirit, this thing called life, enters your spirit and makes it stronger. Instructs it, guides it, teaches it, until it becomes wise and strong. Now remember, your soul is still untrained, but the spirit is growing. Jesus said at one place, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But now that we've become Christians, the Spirit is not only willing, but it's strong and able to do something if it knows how to do it. Now, you need then to instruct your soul. You need to talk to your soul. My wife came up the other day. I was taking a bath. Have you ever heard this saying? If you talk to yourself, it's a sign you're going crazy. You ever heard that? That just isn't true at all. Oh, it may be. You know, I mean, if the guy's going... Blah, 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 blah. See, that may be that he's kind of deranged. That's possible. 
But do you know why Satan has impressed everybody so clearly? If you talk to yourself, it's a sign you're going crazy. If you talk to yourself, it's a sign you're going... I talk to myself all the time. Their dad's in the bathroom, think a bad door closed. Next thing, wife, who's in there? Just me and my soul. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Tell him a soul a few things it needed to know. Hallelujah. It's a jungle chimpanzee. Anytime it's liable to say, you know, isn't it an amazing thing? You can get up on the same side of the bed every day. See, my wife sleeps over here, I sleep over here, and here's the floor. I get out on the same side every day, every day, okay? every day, same side. But some days my soul says to me, we got out of the bed on the wrong side today. Well, it's the same side every day, how can I be getting out of the wrong side? Now, sometimes I have to tell my soul, now, wait a minute, soul. Every time I get out of bed, no matter what side I get out on, that is the right side. But I don't feel it. Yes, you do feel good today. Now, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy. If you think I'm crazy, raise your hand and say, and get it off your chest. It'll do you good. See? Get off your chest. How many of you think I'm crazy? Frank does. Well, now, brother, Lord bless you. You know something? My wife thinks so, too. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I was crazy before I came to Jesus. The Bible says that he has given unto us, Christians, the spirit, not of fear, that's what drives you crazy, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can laugh at myself, call myself ridiculous, know that I am, say, hello, stupid, doesn't bother me a bit. I become rational again. Hallelujah. But you know, anybody in the old world call me, hello, stupid pavement. <laughs> yeah, anything at all. See, man, I didn't have a sound mind then at all. Now you say, somebody say, stupid? Say, yeah, how'd you know? Who told you? You know, I mean, yeah, somehow you find out. Now, you need to learn to talk to your soul. Your intellect's a part of it. Talk to your intellect. Now, I cannot tell you how this thing functions. David said he communed with his soul on the bed. Communed with his soul. He's laying there on the bed. It's a soul. This is a good day. You know why this is a good day, soul? Because it's the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, sometimes I find this taking place. I wake up in the middle of the night. Especially if I need to sleep. That's when I wake up. Invariably, if I'm ever going to wake up, that's when I need to wake up. Like, maybe I've gone to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, I've been counseling or something with somebody, and I have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning because of an important meeting, and I say, man, i just got to get four hours sleep. So, I go to bed. <laughs> and ever the bed hurts, the lumps are there, I feel everything. Finally, I drop off fifthly asleep, and I wake up in the middle of the night, and my soul is saying, I'm tired, I want to go to sleep. Oh! Got maybe you got insomnia. Maybe you, maybe you this say, I go on to, I say, then I have to stop and say, wait a minute, soul. I want to tell you something. I want to let you in on a secret. I told you this a hundred times before, right? Now I got to tell you again. That God is taking care of you. You've been saved. You have been redeemed. And God is taking care of this body in which you reside. And he knows how to give it enough sleep and enough rest and enough of everything. Now, calm down. The world is in God's hands. He's in his heaven. You just get some rest. If you can't sleep, just lay there and take it easy. 
you know, I'm pretty sure. So, oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure you drop off to sleep. Now, that doesn't mean you got enough sleep in four hours, because I, I think a person ought to try and get as much as they can, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever they need, according to whatever their bodily needs are and so forth. You talk to your soul. Next morning, the soul gets up. It's forgotten what you told in the middle of the night. Hasn't really forgot it, but kind of, you know, another, just jungle chimpanzee type of deal. See, so get out of bed and say, four hours sleep. Four hours sleep. And I'm going to go downstairs, and somebody's going to be knocking on the door. Knock, knock, knock. Brother Durkin, I got a problem, and I want you to pro- problem. I'll tell you every problem. See, then my soul tries to tell me it's a bad day. Now, you know the answer here now, don't you? Most of you have taught you that. What do you have to tell your soul? Soul, it's not a bad day. This is a good day. It's the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Then if you tell your soul that, you know what your soul will begin to do? Say, well, yeah, not such a bad day after all. Well, it isn't a bad day at all. It's a good day. Yeah, it's a good day. Good day. Well, rejoice and be glad. Well, yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it'll get your hands up there. Now, if you think that's kooky, you try it and see what'll happen. Now, on the other hand, let's go through the routine that sets most people up for a mighty rotten day. Wake up in the morning, stay in their sleep, trying to sleep anyhow. The alarm. Beep! <laughs> Honey, what? Honey, that's the alarm. I heard the alarm. Well, come on, wake up. You got to go to work. Work, work every day, work. Why don't they make a four-day weekend or something? Work, blue Monday, blue Monday. Oh. Oh. Boy, I'll be glad when I get to be 65. Just wish 50 years of life, boy, or 40 years, just like that. I'm going to resign. I tell you something. I'm going to get myself a thousand alarm clocks, and I will throw every one of them in the ocean all up and ring, and watch them all drown. Watch every one of them drown. Oh, Lord, deliver me from this crazy world. Where's my shoes? Well, it must be where you put them. I put them right here, and they're gone. Well, they certainly didn't walk off in the middle of the night. Well, they must have. Get up and look for him. Oh, who put him? Oh, I remember. I put him there. Gets up and walks over, pulls open. Where are my clean shorts? Well, they're down in the dryer. In the dryer. They're supposed to be in the drawer. What is the woman? Mary, just killing me. Get up and get my shorts. Oh. Walks out of there, and pretty well set up. Walks in, bathroom here, turns the light on. Boy, and cut yourself. Oh, uh, water. I knew it. Another rotten day. Another rotten week. I can't stand it. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, help me. I know what kind of day it's going to be, but help me to get through it somehow, Lord. Now, you're talking to your soul. What are you telling it? What are you telling them? Boy, are you setting it up for a rotten life. Now, let's go back. Let's wake up. Same alarm ring. Beep! Uh. Now, 
Wait a minute, Soul. This is, remember what we told you last night? This is the day the Lord had made? Now, Soul, let's wait here just a second. No, Soul, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Look at that day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Hey, honey, how'd you sleep last night? She's trained her soul right, too. How'd you sleep? Oh, I slept in the arms of the Lord. How'd you sleep? Wonderful. Isn't this a good day to be alive? Yes, amen. You know I love you? Amen. I love you, too, honey. Yeah. Now, get over there. I think I'm going to sit here, Lord, and praise you a while. Lord, I love you. I'm glad I'm alive today. I'm glad you've given me a ministry. I'm glad you've given me a good wife, fine children, chance to work for you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Lord, I look forward to this day. It's a day of adventure and glory, and I want you to live through me, Lord, today. Amen, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, talk to your soul. And talk to your soul mate. Tell her soul how good it is, too. Now, let's go back over these principles again. Then I'm going to add three more and you can go home. But I won't have to preach on them. I just want to give them to you. Number one, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might become partakers of the divine nature. The Lord says, here's a promise. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a promise, isn't it? promise of a good day, a promise of God's day, a promise of God's blessing. That's yours. If you take it, meditate upon it day and night until that truth is rooted in your spirit. Until that roots out. Now, the Word of God has the power not only to penetrate your spirit, but to root out everything contrary to itself, pushing it until it's cleaned it out. And nothing remains but the pure truth of God's word. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free of every contrary concept to itself. It roots itself and begins to grow and establish itself in every part of your being. See? Meditate upon this word day and night. I told you at the convention, I've told you here many times, you now believe the word in your heart if you meditate upon it day and night. Confess it with your mouth. See, the thought comes to you about that scripture, but it isn't enough for a thought to come to you. Confess it. So what should you do in the morning when you get up? Say, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And the third thing, act upon it. What would you do? If you're going to rejoice and be glad in it, what would you do? Say, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Rejoice and be glad in it. See, believe, confess, act. Word of God. Now, talk to your soul. Tell your soul the truth. Say, soul, we're not going to do what you just did yesterday. You know what you did yesterday? What I do? You lost your temper. Soul, you're not going to do that anymore. You know what you're going to do? Next time something like that happens, you're going to make that mouth of your smile, and you're going to bless the person in the name of the Lord. Now, the next day, your soul may forget. So something happens and it says, Oh, you soul! I bless you in the name of the Lord. But that hurt. I know it hurt, but you're going to do it anyhow. All right, I will. See? Then you go back and say, Now, soul, you know what you did today? 
You haven't been trained enough yet. You aren't listening carefully to me, what I'm telling you now. The next time something like that happens, you aren't going to make an outburst like that, not even a piece of a one. You're going to instantly respond with love flowing through you. So because someday something may come up and a person may slap you on one side of your face. And if you aren't really ready for it, you aren't going to do what the Word of God tells us to do. Now, we're serving the Lord, soul. We're serving the Lord, intellect. And what I want you to do is you turn your cheek when that happens, and you let them slap the other side. Now, that's what I want you to do. And you keep telling your soul what this book says. Oh, you say, I read it. That's enough. I don't want to talk. I tell you, I've tried it both ways. And I know this. Until I give instruction to my soul, it doesn't respond. I can read this till I'm blue in the face. But I need to confess outwardly and to my soul the truth. And then my soul hears it and hears it and finally submits to it. And from then on, it never forgets the lesson. It's learned. See? Now you, if you want to test, the Bible says he that will do the will of God shall know whether my doctrine is true. You practice what I'm telling you and see if you don't notice a dramatic and powerful change. Now, don't just tell your soul a bunch of foolishness. Like, uh, soul, today we're going to be optimistic, sweet, kind, noble, and Pollyanna-ish. Tell your soul the truth. What is the truth? This is the truth. See? Tell your soul the truth. I'm not optimistic. I'm not optimistic. I'm pessimistic about this world. This world is coming to an end. This world, somehow it will all work out. I don't believe that. I don't believe it all works out unless I apply the principles of God's word assiduously, studiously, carefully to every situation in which I am involved. I must apply the truth of God's word to that situation. Then it will work out. But some people just, somehow it'll all work out. No, no, that's not truth. That's a lie. You're telling your soul the wrong thing. You're giving your soul a lot of flim-flam. You tell your soul the truth and tell it what you want it to do, and your soul will do everything you tell it to do, and your intellect will believe what you tell it to believe. Now, you see, my intellect used to tell me what I believed. Now I tell my intellect what it believes, what it can believe and what it cannot believe. So if something comes up to me and says... Do you know that I can prove that the baptism of the Holy Spirit disappeared 2,000 years ago, and I can prove it? And I say, but you're 25 years too late, because I have it. But I can prove it. No, you can't. But I can. Let me show you. What do you think about that? Well, like I said, you're 25 years too late. I've already instructed my intellect what it can believe because of what my spirit knows. You see, you can be trapped intellectually unless you have spiritually told your intellect where to put up the barriers. Now you say, well, we should always be intellectually open to everything. No, you ought not to be intellectually open to everything. Someone comes along and says, do you know that the devil loves you? So he does not. He does not. Do you know that Christians can be possessed 
with as many as a thousand demons? Not any Christians I know. I've already told my intellect what it can believe and what it cannot believe. Now, my spirit is wide open to be taught. My intellect is not. Unless you want to teach me how to fix a car. Now, my intellect, I told it, if anybody comes along to you, intellect, and wants to show you how to fix a car, you can learn. If anybody wants to show you how to turn on a gas stove, you can learn. If anybody wants to show you a better way of tying shoelaces, you can learn. If anybody wants to tell you there is no God, what do you know? Oh, I know there is a God. You've already told me that. Right. And you never have any other ideas about that. Right? Right. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? You tell your intellect what it can and what it cannot accept. You tell your soul what it can and what it cannot do. And you keep on telling it and reprimanding it, correcting it. And if you do that and keep feeding this truth into your spirit, then I guarantee you in a very short time you'll see tremendous changes in your soulish nature, your intellectual nature. They will totally line up spiritually, and the Spirit of God will begin to flow out from you, producing around you those things that you believe for. Now, here's what I'm telling you. I told you that people have gone out from our ministry and intellectually perceived the truth that I gave them. But it did not get into their spirits, and they never trained their souls, and they never trained their intellects to be totally in tune with their spirit. And they went out and attempted to produce results, and only fell flat on their faces. Could not be done. But every single person, and please notice this, every single person that has remained under our ministry until I felt in my spirit and other brethren did with me. So there was a confirmation of two or more witnesses although I had to make the final decision. Everyone that we finally laid hands on and sent from this body that we felt had mastered these principles in the Spirit, although they couldn't always intellectually mouth them. Everyone has gone out and done a successful work for God. And everyone without exception that has gone out without that has stumbled and fallen and staggered around in the dark. They intellectually perceived it, but it must be in the Spirit. Brothers, sisters, take time to get it down. Train your soul, train your intellect, train your spirit until it's in line with the Word of God. And then the Bible says, whatever you do, what? It will prosper. Will you stand with me, please? Now, Father, I pray that your people will not be hearers of the word only, but they will be doers of the word. I pray, Lord, they will be people that are wise men that build their houses upon the rock, so that when the rains come and the winds blow and the streams beat vehemently against that house, will not fall because it is founded upon the rock of doing your word. I pray, Lord, that we will be like wise men who look into the perfect law of liberty and we continue therein, not being forgetful hearers, but doers of the law. Oh, Father, I pray that we begin to commune with our souls according to the word of God and in faith instruct our souls.
Even as a preacher instructs our souls when he ministers the Word of God. But Lord, we will do what the preacher does on Sunday. We will do it every day. We'll do it in the night season or the day season. And as we walk down the street, we will instruct our souls in righteousness, Lord, and command them to do that which is right. Hallelujah. Until they become a marvelously expressive instrument of Jesus in us, God's hope for this world. Lord, let us go from this place rejoicing in your truth and determined to practice it.